Hey friends, this is Pastor Brian Warth. Thanks for listening to my latest sermon. Get more of my teachings on YouTube at Chapel of Change TV and tune in every Sunday on the radio on 99.5 FM for fresh hope. God is good all the time. Praise God. Go like this. Praise the Lord. It's good to see everybody in the house of the Lord. We greet you with Jesus' joy. How many have the joy of the Lord? I was sharing with the other campuses how worship is much sweeter when you go through something to get to it. Praise is much powerful when you go through something to get to it. And many of the people today came to worship the Lord either through the cold or through the clouds or through the rain. Uh, I was in Washington this week, and they're going to church today in the snow. In the snow. And I asked the pastor, I said, are you going to cancel services? And he said, no. He said, they go everywhere else in the snow. You can at least come to the house of the Lord and worship the Lord. Someone say Amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verses 1, and before we read that scripture, I want to remind you we should be passing out Christmas flyers. I want to encourage everybody to get a couple of them because it has all our Christmas gatherings, and I want to call your attention just to a couple of them. Don't forget... Next Sunday is our actual Christmas celebration where we're going to have a kid's presentation at the 1230 service, so invite a friend. Also, don't forget, on Christmas Eve, uh, we're having one service at Paramount, which is at 630, 630 in Paramount. If you can't make those, that one, then we have a 5 p.m. in Whittier, 730 in Carson, and then our young adults are hosting a coffee house Christmas at our Long Beach campus at 9 p.m. Everybody's invited, but the young adults are hosting it. It's going to be acoustic worship and a couple special pieces to that. So if you're a young adult, I encourage you to get involved. In fact, our young adult leaders, uh, Josh uh, and Sarah, they're actually transferring from our Carson campus uh, to start worshiping here because they're going to be launching our young adult discipleship group here in the next couple of weeks. So all you young adults, God is moving. And then on Christmas Day, we only have one English service at 1230, 1230. We're combining all our services. Usually we have about 50 services on a weekend. So we're Combining just one at 12.30 and then a Spanish uh, at 1 p.m. And then get this, on New Year's Day, New Year's Day, we're going to let y'all sleep in. Some of y'all, most of y'all should have said amen to that. We're going to let you sleep in because at Paramount Campus, we're only going to have one service and it's going to be the 12.30 service. So make sure you get this flyer, get a couple of them. Invite somebody to our Paramount location. Invite somebody. Uh, let God use you. And make sure you get it because you're not going to remember anything I just said. I don't even know why I said it. You ain't going to remember it. 
So get it. And then lastly, don't forget our Christ's birthday offering uh, this coming weekend. We're going to bring a sacrifice. Every year, we bring a sacrifice unto the Lord over and beyond our t normal tithes and offerings. And we are praying, uh, particularly at our Paramount campus, we are praying to cover the expenses of these lights. Look at these lights right here. You see these lights? Praise the Lord for these lights right here. This is just the first phase. There's three phases, but we needed to get professional lights, one, uh, primarily so that we could present the gospel in a more powerful way and thus reach more souls and make disciples. So your, the Christ birthday offering in part is going to go towards helping cover the expense of this. So we're praying uh, that you sacrificially give. Remember, in the kingdom of God, it is not equal giving. It's equal sacrifice. Did you catch that? It's not equal giving. We ne we, everybody's at a different stage, different phase. Uh, some of you have no kids. Some of you have five kids. We have three kids. Irene has six kids. Didn't you just get a new child? She got a new doggy in their house, right? What's his name? Did you name him? Did you name him yet? Chewy? Uncle Chewy? Oh, tell me later. All right, tell me later. But the point is, it's not equal giving. So don't ever compare your giving to somebody else. But it's equal sacrifice. We're all called to sacrifice. And let me remind you, you are in a place where God is moving. So this is uh, good ground. We saw a miracle of reconciliation today at our Carson campus. There was a lady, you can see the picture on my Facebook page, two months ago. She came to Chapel of Change broken because her kids were taken away. Broken. She came to the altar crying, sobbing, broken. We prayed over her. And we declare that one day in the name of Jesus, she's going to be reunited to her two little daughters. And we declared that over her life. And guess when that day was? That day was today. Today. She came in with two beautiful little daughters. And we brought them to the altar. And we showed that the power of God is still moving today. Particularly in Chapel of Change. So you could be blessed. That God is moving uh, at Chapel of Change. And I also want to testify that part of our Christ's birthday offering for our Carson campus um, is going to rent the Carson Civic Center at least once a quarter next year because it's a bigger facility. And we're going to use part of our Christ's birthday offering to help pay for that. And I want to just testify that today... A young lady came up to church after church, and she came up to me, and she said, how much does it cost to rent that Carson Civic Center? And I said, listen, you could give as much as you want to give because it's not $50. I didn't tell her that, right? I said, but, but we should not lowball God, right? I shouldn't even have said that. But she told me, how much does it cost? And I told her it costs approximately $2,000 to rent, just to rent it. Just to rent it. She says, don't worry about it. I'm going to pay for it right now in the name of Jesus. 
So people are already sacrificing, right? People are already sacrificing. And next Sunday, we're coming as a church, and we're going to sacrifice unto the Lord. Someone shout amen. Now, before I read Luke chapter 2, I want to remind you of a couple things that I brought to your attention last Sunday. Christmas is the only Christian holy day that is also a secular holiday. Remember I brought that up last week? I shared with you how there's this interesting kind of dynamic that goes on every Christmas. How there's millions of unbelievers that are investing billions of dollars to promote a Christmas without a Christ. Remember we learned that last week? How there's millions of unbelievers who celebrate Christmas and don't believe in the meaning of Christmas. And as a result of that, there's two separate celebrations going on at the very same time. Remember we learned about that? And as a result of that, their story becomes more about reindeers than angels. Don't get me wrong, I like Rudolph. He's cool with me. But it's more about angels. As a result of this kind of thing going on, their story becomes more about Santa than Jesus. Don't get me wrong. I like, I like Santa. He's cool with me. But it's not about Santa. It's about Jesus. As a result of this interesting thing going on, um, their story becomes more about receiving than giving. Billions of dollars being invested to promote a Christmas without a Christ. And we're being affected by it. You go to the mall, you're affected by it. You go TV, you're being affected by it. You listen to the radio, you're being affected by it. And I, and I'm, I, you know, it's what's crazy is I get the strategy of the devil. I get the strategy of the devil. If he can't stop us, then dilute our message. He can't stop us because he's learned a long time ago. He really can't stop us. He tried. He fed us the lions. We popped back up. He burned us at the stake. We popped back up. Pandemic hit the world. We popped back up. So I get it. If he can't stop us, then dilute our message. Take the power out the message. Take the transformation out the message. The result is you go all through December. Billions of people go throughout December, and they end up on January 1st with the same busted lifestyle. How? How can you go through December hearing about Christmas and not be transformed. It's because there is an alternative story being told in the world of Christmas without Christ. And so our responsibility is, as followers of Jesus is to joyfully celebrate the real meaning of Christmas. That's our responsibility. We are to joyfully remind ourselves of the real meaning of Christmas. And we do it through our gathered worship. We sing about the real meaning of Christmas. We do it through our study of the Bible together. We do it by reading over and over again the 
first Christmas morning. We do it by fellowshipping, living a holy lifestyle. Our, 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 we should be turning up the volume of the real meaning of Christmas. Someone say, turn it up. Someone say, turn it up. And so my hope is during our study in December that we shine the light more on the real meaning of Christmas. That's my hope for when we get into the word of God is that we make the meaning of Christmas less hidden to the world. Are you following along? That's why we're going back to the story of Jesus' birth. That's why we're pulling out revelation of Jesus' birth because we're reminding ourselves of the real meaning of Christmas. We're relishing in the real meaning of Christmas. We're turning up the volume so that those that are around us don't get duped into a diluted, watered-down message someone say amen so let's turn to luke chapter 2 and i'm going to read out loud and release into the atmosphere the word of god it says in those days caesar augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire roman world This was the first census that took place while Cornelius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem. Someone say Bethlehem. To the the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds, someone say shepherds, living out in the fields nearby, Keeping watch over their flocks at night. You should have noticed that. At night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heavens and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. Someone say, let's go. One of the signs you know God is working in your life is when you have this fire inside of you that says, let's go. That's a sign that God is working in your life. When you have that fire in your heart that says, man, let's go. Go. When you're laying down on a Sunday, it's raining outside, it's cold outside, but there's something inside of you that says, man, I got to pick up my kids, and you tell them, let's go. Let's go to the house of the Lord. Let's go worship the Lord. Let's go praise God. 
Let's go evangelize. Let's go share the gospel. Let's go to discipleship group. What are the signs that God is working in your life? Is those two words right there. They're really three words. Let's go. Let's go. Someone say, let's go. So they said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. Notice that. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. Another sign that God is working in your life is when you have this fire inside of you to share the gospel with somebody. A sign that God is working in your life is you have a fire inside of you that to share with somebody how good God has been to you. That's a sign that the Lord is working in your life when you can't hold it back in, but you got to share your testimony. You got to share how God answered your prayer or spared your life. There's a fire inside of you. It's a sign of God's presence. Prophet Jeremiah, he argued with God. He said, God, I'm not going to tell nobody, nobody about you no more. I'm not going to share with you, about you with nobody. And then he turned around and said, man, there's a fire shut up in my bones. I can't hold it back. I got to tell somebody about the goodness of God. So the Lord transforms the shepherds into evangelists. Listen to verse 18. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Notice that they returned glorifying and praising God. That's what we're doing today. That's what we're doing right now. At some point in time, God had mercy on you. At some point in time, God touched your life. And you're returning right now to the house of the Lord to give God praise, to give God glory. That's what we're doing right now. We're doing what the shepherds did. We're returning to give God praise and to give him glory for all the goodness he has done for us. Let the church say amen. I want to bring out a couple reflections in this first Christmas morning that I believe is going to transform us and help us. The first thing that I want to point out is that Christmas means God's working on his purposes and promises. Christmas reminds us that God is working on his purposes and promises. That's what Christmas should remind us. Every time you come to December, every time you celebrate the birth of Jesus, it should remind you that God is working behind the scenes. To fulfill his promise and to fulfill his purpose for your life. Now, I get this in verse 1. Listen to this. It says, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken. So Joseph also went up Bethlehem to register with Mary. While they were there, she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Now, I want to call your attention to the sequence of events that takes place. Notice, Caesar orders a count. Because of the count, Joseph and Mary have to go back to their hometown. Their hometown happened to be called Bethlehem. Mary just happened to be pregnant with a baby. Because Caesar ordered the count, 
Because they got called back to Bethlehem, because she's pregnant at that time, she gives birth to Jesus in the town of Bethlehem. Are you following along? On the surface, it looks all like coincidence. On the surface, it looks like coincidence. On the surface, it looks like unrelated circumstances. But how many of you know that God is always working behind the scenes? On the surface, it looked like chance. Except when you remember that God promised that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem some 700 years before he was born. It looks like chance. It looks like unrelated circumstances until you understand that some 700 years before the birth of Jesus, God said that he would be born in Bethlehem. The prophet Micah says in chapter 5, he says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, throw through you, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Ancient times? Who's that? Ruler over Israel? Who's that? That's Jesus. Someone shout Jesus. See, God promised that Jesus would be born in the town of Bethlehem. And to perform his promise, to fulfill his promises, he touches Caesar, who happens to be a heathen, to order a count, which caused Joseph and Mary to be pulled back to Bethlehem. Mary happens to be pregnant, and then voila, Jesus is born exactly how God said it would be. I shared with you a word last Sunday. I want to bring it back today that this is called divine providence. What we just learned right there, when you see the sequence of events that leads to the fulfillment of God's promises, it is called divine providence. Divine providence means that God governs the affairs of the world. Divine providence means that God is governing the affairs of the world, whether you see it or not, whether you feel it or not, whether it looks good or not. God is always working. Someone shout, God is working. Someone shout, God is working. Whether you see it or not, whether you feel it or not, God is always working. Don't lose that. If you lose sight of that, you're going to grumble over God performing his word over your life. If you lose sight of that, you ain't going to worship him. If you lose sight of that, you're going to keep your eyes on your situation, and your situation is going to rob you of your joy. If you lose sight of that, you're going to keep your eyes on your situation, and your situation is going to rob you of your happiness, rob you of your peace, because you forgot that no matter what it looks like, God is always working. Can you imagine Mary? She's pregnant. She has to travel miles to Bethlehem. And they didn't have Uber back then. 
Maybe she traveled on a donkey. Maybe she traveled on a cart. But I could imagine she's not God. She, she's an individual like her. I could imagine her thinking, man, Joseph, what type of big idea was this? Come on, Joseph. You know, I'm pregnant. How come I didn't just have the baby uh, right here? I got to go through all this journey and lumps and bumps. I'm pregnant. I'm not feeling good. And we still got to travel under these circumstances. But how many know that God is always working? God is always moving, whether you see it or not. And Apostle Paul even expresses this sure knowledge of divine providence in Romans 8, 28. He says, and we know. Someone say no. That means we have inside information. That means we have an advantage over life. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For good. It doesn't say it's going to feel good. It doesn't even say it's going to look good. But you could be assured if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it's working for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Don't lose sight of that, my brothers and sisters, or else the devil will control your life like a puppet. Don't lose sight that God is not a passive participant in this world. God is not a passive participant in this world. Wherever God is looking, he is acting. Wherever God perceives, he performs. If God inspects, he affects. Where God patrols, he controls. I worked all night on that phrase. I'm going to say it again. Wherever God is looking, he is acting. If God perceives, he performs. If God inspects, he affects. Where God patrols, he controls. Don't lose sight. God is always working. He's fulfilling his promise. Whether you see it or not, whether you feel it or not. And the Lord has taught me this principle in different ways. He's taught me this in several ways, but about a, two months ago, he reminded me of this principle that he's always working behind the scenes, whether you see it or not. As we were preparing for our 10-year anniversary and our tent revival, I reached out to the office of one of the most uh, prominent uh, preachers in the nation. This particular preacher uh, is one of the most influential preachers in the nation uh, to the degree he actually did the inauguration prayer for one of our presidents. And I was surprised that he agreed to come down to Chapel of Change and to preach for us at our tent revival. I was excited. I was like, wow, we finally made it. And I started to share with people, started to rejoice in the Lord. Like this preacher, man, this guy is probably the one of the most influential leaders in the nation. And he did the prayer for one of our presidents. And he's coming to Chapel of Change. And I was so excited until about... Three weeks before the revival, I was sitting on my bed. And I got an email from his assistant. And she said, I'm sorry to inform you, but the preacher can no longer attend your event. And I was looking at the email on my phone. And don't tell nobody, but I got mad. 
don't tell nobody. I got mad. It's three weeks to the event. I already told people that he's coming. And you sent me a two-line email? I got mad. Don't judge me. I didn't even send a response to the email. I ain't gonna respond to that. I didn't even send a response to the and then and then they had the nerve to say, if you want them to come back next year, just let us know. I was like the flesh rose up. Don't judge me, don't judge me. I got mad. And I was, you know, reclined to think that nobody would come because it was such a short notice. And eventually, I got over my emotions. I pressed through my flesh. And I got over it. And eventually, I responded to that person's email. And I responded back. And I was nice. I was nice. I was cordial. I said, thank you. God bless you. I got over it, though. Got through it. Took me a couple days, but I got through it. And I was faced with a, with a situation because it was so soon to the revival, I didn't think we were going to get anybody of national influence. And so I went to the staff meeting one day, and I said, hey, uh, our original preacher canceled out. Got a couple weeks. Who, who you guys want to just try to get? I didn't really think we were going to get anybody. I thought I was going to have to preach it. Brother Art, he says, hey, how about uh, this one pastor called Pastor uh, Vlad Salchuk? And I didn't really know about Pastor Vlad. I went back on the uh, internet and I found out that he is one of the most influential teachers in the world and in, in the nation. And I said, wow, let me just reach out to him. He's not going to answer back. I mean, he got a, an international uh, ministry. And lo and behold, a week later, I get a text. From Pastor Vlad himself. And he says, Brian, I would love to go to Chapel of Change and preach at your revival. So he comes and he preaches and we cast out devils. <laughs> we slay some demons that night. And demons keep showing back up to church now they, that Pastor Vlad is coming. I don't know why. Pastor Irene cast out a devil the other day. They keep showing up now that Pastor Vlad came. We demon slayers around here. And about three weeks ago, Pastor Vlad sent me a message, and he invited me to his home. I said, what? He said, I'm going to buy me a ticket. I'm going. So the last week, I spent two days hanging out with Pastor Vlad in Washington. And I spent the night over his house. And I was, on, I was on his kitchen. I was sitting down on the table, and I had my feet up because, you know, I act like family. No, I didn't do that. And I was talking to his executive director, and the executive director says, Brian, how did, how did you know, how did you get to know Vlad? Like, how long have you known Vlad? You're here spending a night at his house, and you're drinking his drinks and eating his food, and, and man, how long has this been? And I said, I don't even know the brother. <laughs> I just met him last month. 
And then Vlad turns around, drinking his coffee at me. He says, see, Brian, you lost a preacher, but you gained a friend. Come on, somebody. How many know that God is always working behind the scenes? God is always working. That's why you don't jump off a bridge. That's why you don't throw in the towel. That's why you don't give up. If you belong to the Lord, he's always working behind the scenes. And let me give you some advice. Let me give you some some advice to quicken the work of God in your life. Get over your feelings. Get over the flesh. Get over your emotions. Get over your offense. The faster you get over your feelings, there's an open door on the other side of your anger. There's an open door on the other side of your emotions. But you got to cross the bridge. Send that email. Forgive that person. Release that person. Love that person. There's an open door on the other side of your anger. You just got to get past it. The faster, the better. Someone shout amen. As we look back to this story of the first Christmas morning, the second thing I want to bring to our attention is that Christmas means God's grace is for all. Christmas means that God's grace is for all. And we got to remind ourselves of this. Let me read the scripture, and I want to highlight a couple things. So pay attention as I read. It says, and there were shepherds, in verse 8, living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them... And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Now look, I want you to notice who God sends the message of Jesus' birth to first. Don't rush that. Notice who the angels go to first. God doesn't send the angels to King Herod in the palace. God doesn't send the angels to Herod who has all the money and all the gold and all the silver. God doesn't even send the angels to the religious leaders in the temple. Doesn't send the angels to the religious leaders in the temple who have the authority. No, listen, don't don't rush this. God sends the angels with the good news to the shepherds in the cold of the night. He sends them to shepherds. Now, that really don't mean nothing to us on the surface because we don't know about shepherds. We We ain't country folk. At least most of us ain't country folk. We city folk. But you need to remember that in this culture, shepherds were rugged, they were dirty, they were dishonest, and they were distrusted people. In Jesus' culture, shepherds weren't nice individuals that you wanted to listen to. Shepherds were rugged, they were dirty They were dishonest, and they were distrusted people. They were the least and last of society. There's a reason why they're out in the field and not in the city. 
There's a reason why they're in the darkness and not in the light. They were so bad that it was against the law to believe their testimony in a court of law. Could not even believe a shepherd in these days because they were liars. They were rugged. They were outcasts. They were the least and the last of society. In fact, when the Bible says that the shepherds greatly feared, that they were greatly afraid, I suggest that it was not because they just saw a group of angels. I suggest that they were greatly afraid in part because they knew they had skeletons in their closet. They were afraid in part because they knew they lived sinful lives. They were afraid in part because they knew they were not living right. They may have thought, oh my goodness, God found us way out here in the field. We're done. We're over. We're trying to hide in the darkness and God still shows up. We are dust. Instead, they learned that God did not show up with a bat. God showed up with grace. God didn't show up with a bat. God showed up with grace. And God tells them, he says, don't be afraid. He says, I'm not against you. He says, I didn't come to condemn you. He says, I didn't come to point the finger. He says, I know you're messed up. That's why I was born. I know you're a liar. That's why I was born. I know you're distrusted. That's why you're, I was born. I know you burnt all the bridges of your family and your friends. And that's why you're out in the dark away from society. But that's why I was born. I didn't come all the way from heaven with a bat in my hands. I came with grace in my heart. This teaches us. My brothers and sisters, that God's grace is for everyone. We need to remind ourselves during this season that Jesus was not born for a few elite people. We need to remind ourselves that Jesus was not born just for a select group. But 1 Timothy 2.4 says God wants all people to be saved. All people to be saved. And I like, I like what God told the shepherds. Listen to this. He says, I bring you good news that will cause joy for all people. Pay attention. I'm going to show you something. He tells the shepherds that are dishonest, kicked out of society, in the fields, in the darkness. They're they're possibly hiding from God. Nobody believes them. Nobody trusts them. Nobody has confidence in them. Listen to what he says. Put it back on the screen. He says, I bring you. Someone say you. I bring you good news that will cause joy for all people. Wow. God didn't need any middlemen to get his message across. God could have told the whole world himself that he was born. Instead, he said, no, this message is so powerful 
that I got some people out in the darkness. I got some people out in the field that have burnt their bridges with their family, burnt their bridges with their friends, and I want to give them the message to give to everybody because I want their life to start bringing joy to the entire world. Is anybody picking up what I'm putting down? God is telling them, I'm spreading the great joy to all people through you. Through you. Through you. I want great joy to come through your life. I want joy to come out of your life. I want peace to come out of your life. I want blessings to come out of your life. I don't want people to shut the door when you come around. I don't want people to shut the windows when you come around. No, I want them to open up the door. I want them to open up the window. I want them to smile when they see you. I want them to clap when they see you. I'm going to make it so that your life no longer brings sorrow, no longer brings sadness, but your life is going to bring the joy of the Lord. That's good news. That's what the Christmas does. When I think about that, I think about many people at Chapel of Change. I think of how God is transforming us. I think about how some of us used to bring sadness, used to bring uh, sorrow, but then the Lord has transformed our life to now bring joy. I think about you. In particular, I think of uh, Sister uh, Esperanza. I want to show you her picture right there with her husband, Sal. Esperanza leads, amongst other things, our tween group, preteens. And you'll see often a, a, a group of preteens following her around. And she's teaching them to love Jesus. She's teaching them to pray. She's teaching them to read their Bible. She's meeting with them on Zoom every week and then in person uh, on the weekend. She's, she's spreading the joy of the Lord. Last Sunday, I was at our 430 Carson campus, and there's an old chaplain that comes to our church. He's about 78 years old. He has a messed up hip, so he kind of walks, kind of jagged, and his name is Chaplain Bill. He's been coming to our church for a couple years now, and believe it or not, he's the reason why many people are coming to Chapel of Change. Old man, frail man, but got the gospel pumping through his veins. And I was talking to Chaplain Bill last Sunday, and all of a sudden, he mentions Esperanza. And we start talking about Esperanza, and he tells me, Chaplain Bill tells me, Brian, you don't understand. I knew Esperanza before she knew Jesus. She said, he's told me, Brian, you don't understand. I knew Esperanza before she knew Jesus. And back in the day, she used to want to fight everybody. She used to want to fight everybody. She used to want to fight everybody. She said, Brian, you don't understand. I'm seeing Jesus transform her life in front of my eyes. Now she's bringing joy. Now she's bringing peace. Now her life is bringing the power of God. And that's a picture of Chapel of Change right there. That's what God is doing because of the grace of God. Is for everybody. And I want to remind us that grace is the secret sauce to Christianity. 
Grace is the secret sauce to Christianity. The greatest news in history is that the world, uh, to the world is that God saves us by grace. That's the greatest news in history. Have you ever wondered why Christmas is the only holiday where we give gifts to everybody? Like on your birthday, one person gives a gift. Anniversary, one person gives a gift. Have you ever wondered why Christmas, everybody gives a gift? You know why? Because it symbolizes that the grace of God is for everybody. It symbolizes the grace of God is for everybody. In fact, the word grace actually means gift. It means gift. And it is the gift that keeps on giving. Because when you receive the grace of God, you receive all that God has for you. The Bible teaches that we are saved by grace. Ephesians 2.8 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. We're saved by grace. The Bible teaches we stand on grace. In Romans 5.2, it says, through, through, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. See, we stand on the grace of God. We don't stand on our education. We don't stand on our wealth. We don't stand in our strength or in our smarts. We stand on the grace of God. That was the testimony of Apostle Paul. One of the most educated people of his times. One of the most influential people of his times. Yet he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 5, he says, "But, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Grace sets us free. It sets us free from guilt and shame and anxiety and demons and, most importantly, our sins. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. God's grace is for all, is all over this Christmas story. It's all over the Christmas story that God's grace is for all. In the book of Matthew chapter 1, before you get to the birth of Jesus, you have to read a bunch of names. Anybody remember that? In Matthew chapter 1 verse 1, it says this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then it goes on to name, uh, name after name after name after name. Has anybody ever tried to read that whole chapter and gave up after the fifth name? Well, it's, it, it kind of gets boring when you read all them names unless you realize why they are in there. That genealogy is a list of Jesus' family. It is a list of Jesus' family. And in those days, the genealogy served like a resume to flex someone's status in society. Why are all those names in there? Here it is. They, that served like a resume to flex someone's status in society back in those days. In those days, they would list the most powerful people of their families to impress other people. In those days, the genealogy list was a tool to brag on where the person was from and who he was connected to. In those days, the genealogy was so important that many people would would lie or embellish their genealogy. And they would cover up the bad people of their family. 
Even today, when you think of resumes, some, a lot of people lie on their resumes. What's fascinating about the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 before you get to the birth of Christ is that the Bible does not cover up Jesus' messed up family. What's fascinating about this genealogy and what gives us hope is that the Bible does not cover up part of Jesus' messed up family. When you read Matthew chapter 1, you'll notice it mentions an individual by the name of Tamar who was a scandalous individual. You'll notice it mentions an individual by the name of Rahab. When you read about her in the Old Testament, she was a prostitute. When you read his genealogy, it mentions an individual by the name of David who was rich, who had money and power, yet he killed one of his closest friends and committed adultery. When you read the genealogy of Jesus, it mentions a lady by the name of Bathsheba who committed adultery. It does not cover up Jesus' messed up family. Now, why do these names are listed in Jesus' family. Why are these names listed? Here it is. They teach us that there's no one who does not need the grace of Jesus Christ. And on the flip side, there is no one, not even the worst human beings, who can fail to receive the grace of Jesus Christ if they believe and repent from their sins. Why does the genealogy of Jesus name priests and kings and prostitutes and scandalous individuals? It teaches us that it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what you have done. If you repent and believe Jesus, the grace of Jesus will come into your life and connect you to the Lord of lords and kings of kings. It teaches us. That in Jesus Christ, prostitute and king, male and female, rich and poor, bad person and good person, all sit down as equals at the table of the king. It teaches us. Here's the last one. Probably the most important thing. Why are all those names in the Bible right before the birth of Jesus Christ? Here it is. It teaches us that Jesus is not ashamed to call us family. He's not ashamed to call us family. Jesus is not ashamed to identify with us. Jesus doesn't cover us up like doesn't like like try to hide us. No. In fact, he calls us out of the darkness into his marvelous light because he's not ashamed to identify with you and I. And that's what Christmas is all about. That God came down and wrapped himself up in flesh because He's not ashamed of us. In fact, the Bible teaches in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11 that both the one who makes people holy, that's Jesus, and those who are made holy, that's us, are the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. I love that passage of scripture. It releases the shame. 
it lifts the shame off of my life. It says that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. There's deliverance in that phrase. There's deliverance in that reality. I don't know if you've ever been affected by shame, but I have. I don't know if you've ever been in bondage to shame, but I have. And it's heavy. It's deep. It's hurtful. Listen, listen. You are looking at a convicted murderer. You are looking at a convicted murderer. And I don't care how long I've been serving the Lord, every now and then that spirit of shame tries to attack my mind and get me to shrink back at life and shrink back at the will of God and shrink back. It's serious things. Maybe you didn't commit a murder. Maybe you committed uh, adultery. Maybe you got a divorce. Maybe you had an abortion. And now you feel dirty. And now you feel held back to the promise, well, about the promises of God. You need to know that Jesus was born for you. He was born to lift up the shame out of your life. He was born to lift the shame out. He's not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed of you. Listen, I, I, every now and then I still get hit with the spirit of shame. I remember I got invited to say a prayer for a senator. And I was excited about that opportunity. I thought I had arrived. I put on my suit, got a haircut. I was ready to go, got my Bible. And, and the moment I stepped out of my car, the spirit of shame hit me. Shame is humiliation. Shame is a, a feeling of disgrace. Shame is a feeling of being humiliated. And the moment I stepped out of my car, the devil started to whisper in my ear, oh, do you know what you're doing? That, that senator is going to find out you've been to jail. That senator is going to find out you're going to jail. He's going to humiliate you. You're going to humiliate him. And the devil tried to get me to shrink back. He tried to get me to get back in my car and go home and crawl up like a little baby. But I had to tell myself, if Jesus is not ashamed of me, I'm not going to be ashamed of myself. If Jesus is not ashamed of me, I'm not going to be ashamed of myself. If Jesus is not going to be ashamed of me, I could walk up into any room now. Why? Because Jesus is not ashamed of me. And if Jesus is not ashamed of me, I don't care about what other people think anymore. I am free. I am free. <laughs> Psalms 3.3 is a scripture that I fight the devil with every time he hits me with uh, the spirit of shame. And Psalms 3.3 says that, but you, O Lord are a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. Psalms 3.3, you got to get that. If you're battling shame, you got to fight back. Psalms 3.3, I'm helping you to overcome the devil. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. Now I can walk around free because of Jesus. The shame has been lifted. The shame has been lifted. That's good news. That's the meaning of Christmas. Let's bow our heads in the presence of the Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to pray for somebody who's wrestling with shame.
I want to rebuke the spirit of shame today. I want you to think about, you may not even be able to describe it. You may not even know what it is, but it's the spirit of shame. Causing you to shrink back. Causing you to feel dirty. Causing you not to step into God's plan for your life. Causing you to live a life of hesitation. I want to rebuke the spirit of shame today. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If there's anybody who's wrestling with those thoughts or that reality. And you just want prayer for freedom. More levels of freedom. I want to pray for you. While everybody else remains in atmosphere of prayer, I want to pray for a couple people to be free from the spirit of shame. And I'm going to invite, if that's you, I'm going to invite you down to the altar. I'm going to call Pastor Laura, some of the pastors here to just to prepare. Wrestling with the spirit of shame, we're going to pray. Those that remain in the seat, I actually remain in a spirit of prayer. We need your prayers too. We need to lift up our brothers and sisters at the altar. We're going to pray for freedom. Dora, I'm glad you came down. Because as I was preparing this message, the Lord laid you on my heart. And he wants to reinforce in you that your past is under the blood of Jesus. He wants to reinforce in you that you're an ambassador now for him. You're an ambassador now. And there's no need to hang your head down. No need to shrink back. No, you don't tell everybody everything. Use wisdom. Use wisdom. But don't shrink back. God is telling you today, don't shrink back. He's placed you in certain places to be an influence. To speak a word in season. In season. Don't shrink back. And the Lord laid you on my heart particularly. I'm glad you came, came up because you just triggered that word to be released in your life. And we're going to pray for you. But that's a word for you. Don't shrink back. You're an ambassador now. You're covered in the blood of Jesus. I'm going to ask Laura. Laura, pastors, just get behind some, some of the people. And I want you to lead in a prayer of rebuking the spirit of shame and releasing honor. They're going to walk in honor, in the honor of the Lord. They're going to walk in the glory. That's the glory of the Lord. Psalms 3.3. 3. Psalms 3.3. 3, I speak that over your life. you got to memorize this. Psalms 3.3. 3, you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. Psalms 3.3. 3, I, I want to just speak this into your life. Psalms 3.3, 3. this is a word, this is a rhema word for you. Let me speak this into your soul right now. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. You got you to memorize this verse. You got to memorize this verse, Psalms 3.3. 3. Every time that spirit comes back, you fight back with this verse. Psalms 3, 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me. You're a shield. You're my glory. 
What does glory mean? Well, one of the things that glory means is honor. God is our honor. We can have our head up. We are not what we did. We are not what we did. We are not what we did. You are what Jesus says you are. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, the glory and the lifter of my head. I'm going to ask the Lord just to pray. Hallelujah. And I want us to just pray together and lift up your hands in a posture of receiving from the Lord today. And that word that the Lord gave, that the word in Psalm 3, 3, but you, O oh Lord, I want you to repeat that with me right now and receive from the Lord this weapon, this word, this promise. Say it with me. Say, but you, O oh Lord, are my shield. You, O oh Lord, are my glory and the one who lifts up my head. We thank you, Lord Jesus, today that you indeed are my shield. You are my glory. You are the one who lifts up my head in spite of what the devil throws my way day in and day out. I shall not be ashamed because you go before me, you go behind me, and you surround me with your grace. And yes, Lord God, your grace is sufficient for me. So today... I declare that I have received the grace of God and I rely not on myself, not on my wisdom, not in my strength, but my reliance and my confidence comes from the Lord. Father, I thank you for each person that has come forward. I thank you, Lord God, for their transparency to be transformed. And I pray right now, God, that this would trigger a shift in their life. That this would trigger a shift in their life. That they would begin to see themselves as you see them. That no more they will walk in the spirit of shame. In Jesus' name, I rebuke that spirit of shame over my brothers and my sisters this day. In the name of Jesus, we command shame to take an exit and get out. Get out of their life in the name of Jesus. We cover them with the blood of Jesus. We declare the grace and the mercy of Jesus over their life right now in the name of Jesus. And we declare that they will walk with their head lifted high because of Jesus. And they will walk with honor. They will walk with their God-given honor because they are a daughter and they are a son of the living God. And today, 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 let them walk in holy confidence, knowing who they are. And let them say, like Apostle Paul said, I, by the grace of God, today, I am what I am and soon I will see who you say I am as I walk out this reality in my life from this day forward in the name of Jesus. Be released and be free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand praise. We're not done yet. Give me some anointing oil. Anointing oil. Anointing oil. Hallelujah. Before you go back to your seats, I just want to anoint everybody 
I want to anoint everybody. And the way we're going to do this is we're going to do it. Uh, you just come towards me right here. It's not going to be long. Uh, come right here. Come right here, Dora. We anoint you to keep your head up in the name of Jesus. We anoint you to keep your head up in the name of Jesus. We anoint you to keep your head up in the name of Jesus. We anoint you to keep your head up in the name of Jesus. We anoint you to keep your head up in the name of Jesus. We anoint you to keep your head up in the name of Jesus. We anoint you to keep your head up in the name of Jesus. We anoint you to keep your head up in the name of Jesus. We anoint you to keep your head up in the name of Jesus. We anoint you to keep your head up in the name of Jesus. The shame is lifted. The shame is lifted. It's lifted up in Jesus' name. We anoint you to keep your head up in the name of Jesus. The shame is lifted. The shame is lifted in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We anoint you to keep your head up. We anoint you to keep your head up in the name of Jesus. We anoint you to keep your head up in the name of Jesus. Henry, come on over here. Amen, amen. Henry, we anoint you to keep your head up in the name of Jesus. The shame is lifted. The shame is lifted in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's give the Lord a hand praise in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand praise. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. God is good all the time. You may be seated. Um, let's give the Lord some praise. Amen. As we transition to our giving, the scripture that I have this morning is in Matthew 2.11. And this is what it says. And when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I want us to see what it says. He says they opened their treasures to him. Gold represents his kingship. Frankincense is an incense used in temple worship. Myrrh is an anointing oil that was used to prepare a body for burial. It symbolized the death or a martyred prophet. I thought to myself, what's a kid, a baby, going to do with these gifts? They symbolized the gift he was going to give to us. He loves us that much. The wise men brought gifts and worshiped Jesus for who he is. This is the essence of true worship, honoring Christ with our gift, with our gift. What are you saying, Pastor, with our finances? Giving to God what belongs to him faithfully. Jesus has given a gift to us that is still giving. Still giving. Some of you don't get it. 
He's still giving to you and me. He provides what we need. This message, even though you're going through the struggle, Jesus is still working behind the scenes. You may not see it, but he's doing it because it's going to turn out for your benefit. God is so good. Amen. I have a few announcements as the ushers come forward. We have a debit machine that you are able to give. We can facilitate that for you in the lobby. Amen. We uh, can give online, chapelofchange.org, or we can text to the numbers that are on the screen. You have envelopes behind your seats. You can give that way as well. Or you can use your phone and take a photograph of the QR code. You can give that way as well. Technology is good if you know how to use it. Amen. We have our men's hike on the 17th at 10 a.m. For more information, please contact Josh. For those of you that want to go hiking or climbing. We have our kids' performance on the 18th. Let's give it up for our kids. Amen. God is good. And then on the, on the 18th is our Christ birthday offering. Boy, you guys got excited, huh? Man, the things that we're doing here at Chapel of Change, things are changing at all our campuses. I don't know if you can tell, but it looks different in here. In the book of Haggai, it says, those of you that saw the temple the way it used to be, how do you see it now? We should be getting excited because we're seeing our tithe at work. So, man, please ask the Lord, God, what am I going to give? How am I going to contribute to the beautification of your temple? Man, get excited, amen. And we have our um, Christmas Eve worship services. We have it in Whittier at 5 p.m., Paramount 6.30, and in Carson at 7.30 and in Long Beach at 9 p.m. So I'm going to challenge you. Hit all of them. Go to all of them. Amen. And then we have our Christmas Day service here in Paramount. All the churches are going to come together. All our campuses are going to come together so that we can fellowship and see our brothers and sisters that we normally don't get to see. That's a gift. Amen. And so please, and our Spanish uh, service will be in Carson at 1 p.m. Will you pray with me? Pray with me that the Spirit of the living God would prompt you to give an offering, a sacrifice, the way Christ gave back to us so that we can continue the work of the kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we give you the glory, the honor, and the praise because of who you are. Stir us up, Lord God, the way you did in the book of Haggai for the leaders and all the men and the women that were there. It says you left a remnant that were stirred up, Lord God, to do the work that was required in the temple. Bless the men and the women of God. Bless their giving. Bless their families. In Jesus' name. Ushers, you are released. Amen. Thank you.
our feet. Hallelujah. Don't forget to get a flyer. Pass out the flyer to somebody. Invite somebody to church. I'm going to call our pastors up to the altar. If you need prayer after service, you're welcome to come to the altar. Let's lift up our hands unto the Lord as we dismiss with a blessing. In the name of the Father who loves you with an endless love. In the name of the Son who died that you could live. And in the name of the Holy Spirit who frees you from shame. Go this week with the protection and the blessing of the Lord. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Hope to see you Thursday night. Come back Thursday night for worship. In Jesus' name.